Jillian Pensavale. Patrick Hines. Dun, dun, dun. Ah, we're doing it. <laughs> I missed you. I missed all of this. I missed you too. Mm. Hi, girl. Hey, girl. It's been too long. I miss doing this. This is unacceptable. I know. You know what's not unacceptable? What? Men in those like wrestling singlets. Teach their own. I can't. <laughs> I, and the, the word singlet, I just can't. I know. Can uh, we talk about how wrestling has the sluttiest uniforms I have ever seen? It's just physically, just just <laughs> physically the gayest sport there is. I know. I was just thinking about like it's the one time in real life when like men where it's not only appropriate but required that you shove your junk in another man's face and pin them down and like force them to deal with it. And what usually that's illegal as far as I'm concerned. Not in Olympic wrestling. <laughs> you would think that like these and also these are like the buffest, hottest men. You would think have you ever seen those videos of those that Turkish wrestling where they literally oil themselves up and then stick their hands down each other's pants? This is a real thing. No, of course you've YouTubed <laughs> it though. I have not. That is not <laughs> No, I have not done that. Do you want to tell the people what movie we're talking about? Oh, Foxcat Team Foxcatcher. <laughs> Was that not clear? <laughs> John E. DuPont, an heir to the DuPont family fortune, lives here on the sprawling estate his family has called home for generations. Team Foxcatcher is all part of John DuPont's plan to support many athletes in their pursuit of Olympic glory. Most of your athletes, if they do it instinctively, they'll get right. The score of their opponent. They built this million-dollar wrestling facility. It was amazing. John was this wealthy man, and then he was also like a scared kid that never really had a childhood. John started inviting individuals to come live in the houses and paid them a salary to be on his team. You could see that. He wanted to be one of the guys. Eagles score high. David Schultz, a wealth of experience out there on the mat. I want to be the world champion in 91 and the Olympic champion in 92, and then I want to quit. <laughs> Before all my hair falls out. Dave just thought it was an unbelievable idea. These families and athletes, there truly was a sports utopia. Things just started going south real quick. Who's that coming out of there? Oh, it's the dog. John observed how people did gravitate towards Dave. I think that's out to John a little bit. John became super paranoid. I knew that he was doing cocaine because he wouldn't sleep. He would videotape the woods. Look at this. You see something there. Everyone was just kind of pacifying the guy because he was good for the sport. Dave genuinely liked John and tried to help him. Dave Schultz was the truest friend John had. Kill him all! <laughs> There's just no reason to live in an environment like that. Dave should have got out of there. John loved Dave, and then Dave became his demon that was after him. All right, girl, how does it start? So it starts with, again, just home videos galore. What is the deal with the with the early nineties and the and like the 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 plethora of home videos? You know what I think it is? It's because that was a time where like 
all of these new camcorders were coming out. Like, they were every like small year, enough to carry. Yeah, and like every yeah. year it was like, this is the new one, and they're still gigantic. <laughs> um, and I think people were just like, I have it. Right. And also what they were doing and where they were living was sort of insane. Yeah. And they all knew or wanted to be Olympic athletes, so I right. think when you like aspire for that kind of greatness, you're like, this will be great for our documentary. Meanwhile, <laughs> not this kind of documentary, unfortunately. <laughs> right. So we start at the DuPont estate because of John DuPont, a.k.a. This bitch. <laughs> it's back, you guys. Uh, Nancy Schultz, who is not at all an AKA this bitch. Oh, I guys. love her. She has the same hairstyle in 1990, in 1988, and like 2000. And she, this woman never changes her hair. You know what? When you find something that works for you, <laughs> you do it. Exactly. So Nancy is showing us this estate, which they call the farm. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. It's like these, these the winding roads. And she's like, there's the horse stable, and there's the tennis court. And there's horses on both sides all over the place. This main drive is just so pretty. And actually, if you take a left here and you take this road, right down this road, it leads to our house. I mean, it's something out of, you're like, who is this? And then you're like, oh, it's the, it's the DuPont family. Right. Um, and they've been around for like ever. And they've lived on this estate for like 75 years or something. Yeah. But they descended from France and blah, blah, blah. blah. It's, in, it's like outside of Philadelphia. They say that like in Philadelphia, the, they are the equivalent of royalty. I know. It's like doesn't take much in Philly. <laughs> royalty, does it? <laughs> Anyway, um, so we're like, we learn it's Foxcatcher Farm and we're like, what the hell? Where are we? What are we doing? Yeah. And then it cuts immediately to like the police phone call. So th- it cuts right to the very end. Yeah. No deal. No deal? I'm sorry, no deal. I'm in charge around here and that's the way it's going to be. So we're hearing these tapes of like what we are going to find out later yeah. in a way too long part of the documentary that he, this man has committed a murder mm-hmm. and he's like hold himself up. This is the John DuPont. He's kind of our protagonist here. Mm-hmm. He's committed a murder and he's hold himself up. <laughs> and what we'll find out is his like library slash safe room. The, the conversation that we're hearing that we'll get into more later is basically the cop saying like, John, would you mind? Would you mind coming out? We know you just killed a guy, but but like. If you could. Yeah. And John is basically like, I have some diplomatic papers to go over. Uh, he's in charge. You have no right to tell a head of state what to do. We had to discuss the man that was killed on your property yesterday. You have no right to tell a head of state what to do. It's an estate. Right. You're not head of state. <laughs> it's an estate. You forgot the E. <laughs> Our like introduction to to John Dupont, and you're like, okay, yeah, here we go. This bitch. this is this bitch, yeah. this bitch. Yeah. So we're going back now to the late '80s, early '90s. Yeah. So we realize like what this farm is, and John Dupont discovers wrestling, not like WWE wrestling, like right. like Olympic wrestling. Olympic wrestling, right. and he becomes weirdly obsessed with it. He wants to breed really and and help train these Olympic wrestlers. It's funny because they spend literally five minutes like showing these like super fit, super buff, like hot guys, like literally climbing all over each other and like just getting their junk in each other's faces. And it cuts to some guy and he's like, I don't know why John was so interested in this. I don't remember really why John became as interested in wrestling as he did. I was like, I, I have an idea. Girl. 
I mean, yeah. come on. And that's the thing that is never is never really touched on. There's a lot about like his potential sexuality that goes unspoken here, but it's like, girl, hey girl. Yeah, we'll get into it. Right. So then John is like, you know what? I love wrestling. I want to like really heavily invest in wrestling and I want to like pay these men to come to my estate and train here and make wrestling like a world-class sport for America. It's John's philosophy that if he can do away with some of the hindrances that these athletes have, then they can concentrate on training. I believe with John's continued support that one day the U.S. will be the number one wrestling power in the world. John started telling me he's going to bring in the best wrestlers in the world, the best coaches in the world. I really didn't believe him at first. He was telling me he was going to bring Dave Schultz in. <laughs> and I said, really? As soon as he said that, I said, okay, I'm in, <laughs> you know. So Nancy Schultz is the wife of Dave Schultz. Yeah. And Dave Schultz was like the ultimate wrestler. Then right. we meet all these wrestlers who are like, he was the best in the world. David Schultz, 1983 world champion, 84 Olympic champion, seven-time national champion. A wealth of experience out there on the mat, Mark Scott. And because John does get Dave, it puts Foxcatcher on the map and it makes people look like, okay, this place is legit and this guy really is putting his money where his mouth is. He's actually doing it. He's right. not just some crazy eccentric, which he is, um, <laughs> but he's actually doing what he said he did. Dave just thought it was an unbelievable idea. He saw that this guy, this, this DuPont guy, had been funding some swimming and some you know, other events and he thought, well, maybe we have an opportunity here to grow our sport. And then one of the other, like another, he gets obsessed with this guy named Valentino Giordano. A.K.A. Valo. We can't play any of what he says, though, because it's all in Bulgarian. <laughs> I know. Hi, my name Valentin Giordano. Tim Faskic is good friend. Okay. Valo, sweetheart. <laughs> but he leaves Bulgaria to join Foxcatcher. Like, this right. was a big deal, too, to get Valo. Like, now people from, like... I guess, like, their rival countries were yeah. just like, oh, fuck this, dude. I want to come to Foxcatcher. It was funny because it, one of the guys in the in the movie says that Valentino was a great athlete. The first time he got on top of me, he picked me up off the mat. And I literally was like, well, cold shower number three. Yep. I got to go. I need a drink. How long did it take you to watch this movie, really? Seven hours. <laughs> like, with all the pausing and rewinding. and the Did like, you, like, whew, did you keep whew. video for yourself that you can just have on your phone whenever yeah. you just want to I texted look? most of it to you, but I'm saving it. <laughs> So Valo and Dave become best friends. Right. Even their children would play naked together. Okay. Dot, 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 dot. There's Yancho and Alexander, the Bulgarian and the American, playing naked together in the morning. They showed so many videos of these naked children playing together. One had a rat tail. I know, I know. You guys, don't do this to your children. Like, please. It's so hard. Like, I know. And they were like, it's one thing to let the kids play naked. It's another thing to allow that footage to be used in a documentary. If you have to blur... They're too old to be playing naked and be videotaped totally, while totally. playing naked. I'm just saying. I know. I'm not and accusing like, anybody. Of but they don't blur their bums. It's so bizarre. It's, I feel uncomfortable. Me too. Yeah. And like this is the beginning of them talking about how like the training facility was a family. Like everybody there was family. Once Fox Kitchen was created, I mean, once people came and everybody started training together, it truly was a sports utopia. These families and athletes, it was something you only dream of. Right, and then you're like, oh, it was also kind of a commune because they yes. all had houses. That's right. So there's a lot of things in this documentary where it's like, uh, gigantic red 
sparkly pink flag number one right. <laughs> when you have people in amazing shape all living together <laughs> things get a little weird it's just we, we saw it in holy hell we'll I know. probably see it again I it's know. just a little you know they called it nancy calls it a sports utopia right sports utopia cult what i don't right. know it's still it's a little commune you know dave was kind of like the main house because you no know, i look at alexander and danny and, and nancy as as family Yep. Danny. Danny Rose, hi. You helping mom? Xander's helping. Oh, we're all helping. Isn't that swell? Here's my house. It's a quiet little spot. I'm also uncomfortable with the amount of times we referred to the house that John lived in as the big house. That is straight out of slavery. That's where that comes from. That's plantation speak. Also, uh, Mormon fundamental polygamists use the big house too on their communes. The big house. That's where like Warren Jeffs lives. The big house. Who lived? Shit. (laughs) Warren Jeffs lives in the big house. That's all you got. Um, But that's also yeah, of course, slavery. But also yeah, polygamous cults. It's but it is very much like the king and his like serfs. You know? And they call him Eagle. I know. There's so much. And this is where, like, now we get more footage of John because they're on the plane to Istanbul. Uh huh. And they're like, hey, Eagle, like, what are we going to do? And John turns. You know, it's so weird. <laughs> kill, kill, kill. Why are they getting him to do that? Gigantic pink sparkly flag number eight. Like, what are you talking about? And he, like, there's no humor. No. There's no, he's very intense and weird and, like, not fun. And, and then we get this, like, interview with John, right? Oh, my God. This, like, interview that they use throughout where it is, it's just, ins- it's like him in, like, a tracksuit, like, looking directly at the camera, being completely unself-aware. Right. And then he's, like, he says these things about wrestling or whatever. It's like a person when they wrestle. They try to do something right they'll foul up the move. If they do it instinctively, they'll get right and score on their opponent. Much to his surprise. And then he stops and he's like, see, if you film me, if you, <laughs> if you let me do this, I'll get stuff like that. And the interviewer was like, that's literally exactly what happened. I was filming you. You said things. I recorded it. We did exactly what, what are you talking about? And he's like, exactly. That's why I did it. Like no sense of humor, no awareness. But I just did get that off. That's right. I know that. That's why, I, that's why I continued on. I'm very quick that way. I, I can do, do, do that. If you, if you, just let me, if I were ram, ramble on, you get all sorts of stuff. I know. Just like, will you fucking lighten up? Like, he's so <laughs> annoying. And just like, calm down. That is like, that is the best advice for this guy. Can you just lighten the fuck up? Lighten Have a up, Black man. Beauty and Scotch, girl. You're rich. Isn't that what you do? <laughs> all day? And then he's like, I did it. That's why I'm so quick like that. And the guy's like, all right, continue. And then he's like, um. And he has nothing else to say. Uh. So this is where we start to get like the modern day wrestlers looking back on John right. and saying like Dan, this is like hot, not really my type because he's a little muscly for me if I'm being honest, but he's very handsome. Dan <laughs> <laughs> is saying how like oh John John was eccentric. That was on the table from day one. The conversation about John being eccentric was always out front. You know, John is a little different. There's no doubt about it. You know, does that mean he's a bad guy? But then they tell this ridiculous story about him. This is just something like a crazy rich person would do. Like you take your car, you drive it into a pond. One day we hear that he ended up in the pond with his car. Everyone thought that he just was going too fast, ended up in the pond. 
the car company that he had bought it from gave him a loaner. And the next day, he had a, a high-up official in wrestling. He told him to get in the back seat, and he did the exact same thing, drove the thing into the pond. Oh, why? Who the heck knows? How bored do you have to be <laughs> to just to just drive your car into a pond like more than once? So he drives it into the pond, and every literally every rush was like, "Huh, that's kind of weird, huh?" John, there's John at it again. So then, like they give it, the, they give him a new car because he drove like some probably some antique eight hundred million dollar car into the fucking pond. And then, like these high ranking Olympic officials come right. to just like see like this amazing thing that he created, and he's like, "Here, I'll drive you." Drives the U.S. Olympic officials into the pond, and everyone's like, "There he goes again." <laughs> no one is wondering like <laughs> should we help this person like I just don't understand <laughs> you know what I wish people would give me the benefit of the doubt as as every everyone in this in these documentaries gives these quote eccentric people why can't I just do whatever the fuck I want it's like there she goes again classic Jillian just let her do whatever she wants. Like, I wish I had that leeway in my life. Oh, my God. Uh, uh. And then it's like, well, Dave Schultz is the only one who can handle John. Right. If you needed something and you were afraid to contact John about, Dave would do it for you. He was the one person who could influence John in a positive direction and the one person who could keep things on the right path so that it continued to benefit the sport and it continued to benefit Dave. It's true and also we'll find out ironic that Dave is the only one who like, quote, gets him. Who can like handle him. And so whenever he does shit, like drive into the pond again, (laughs) it's like, Dave, can you reel him in a little bit? So now Dave has this responsibility. Not only does he have a a wife and and children and his family here and he's trying to be an Olympic hero. Right. At 37. Right. Now he's like John's babysitter. Great. (laughs) So now we learn that. I guess, like, why he would drive his car into the pond. I'm just going to, I need to know why. But so we learned, the wrestlers are saying that, like, he was running everything. Obviously, they called him Eagle. It's very strange. Yeah. Um, But he also, like, wanted to be one of the guys. Right. And now we learn what it's like to be super rich and privileged and have no friends and, like, have your parents not care about you. He was lonely, you know, and, and we were his friends. His family didn't see him much. He said the wrestlers were his family. Yeah, so we get his, like, crazy backstory where he was, like, the youngest by far of his brothers and sisters. They say that he didn't, like, eat in front of people except the maid until he was, like, 13. He, like, ate in his room and the maid would, like, serve him the food in his room. Right. Now, I don't know who's telling these stories. Right, is John right, yeah, telling? Yeah. Like, then, if he, if it is, it's like, mm, I don't yeah. know yeah. what's happening. But he was really lonely and he claimed he had to set up appointments to see his own father and then, like, half the time his dad would not show up for the appointment or yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, his dad left the family, it sounds like, and just sort of, like, moved away. And so, you know, he's saying to these guys, like, you don't know how lucky you are to have a father. I didn't get to have like just all of this it's a lot right and so he was super lonely and he had no socialization because he just like had everything at home like he didn't have to be socialized or whatever right and so this leads to everyone on the farm feeling bad for him and also beholden to him because he's just throwing money at everything they want and there was something inside of him that really was trying to connect so i felt like and i know dave did we kind of wanted to befriend the guy especially if he was willing to help the sport. So you kind of felt like you should reach out to him 
because he's reaching out to the support. And then, so then it's like they would play wrestle and John would play wrestle. Like when you're and watching, of there's a video of it. I, I know. cannot <laughs> handle it. You're watching these world class athletes basically wrestle with their grandmother. This is going to work too well. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to go hard with Robbie, you know? I understand that. I'll tell you when it hurts. No, it's too late then. <laughs> They are so delicate with him, and he looks so frail. He looks so unbelievably frail, and they're like, they're like letting him win. So he'd wrestle with him. You let him score a bit. You know, he it was it was kind of like play wrestling. And in his own mind, he's yeah, I'm hanging with these guys. He's like Mr. Burns. Yeah, Remember how Mr. Burns <laughs> literally can't take a step without being like, <gasps> that's John Dupont. And exa- with the money and, and like trying to manipulate everybody, that he's Mr. Burns. Yeah, yeah. So then what happened is that John started actually entering wrestling tournaments. Oh. And what he would do, he like started this thing, Masters Wrestling. John Dupont wanted to be a world champion like the world champions that he employed and had in his club. And so he started a new style essentially called the Masters. Well, Masters Wrestling, there's not a lot of guys still wrestling in your 40s and 50s. You guys, imagine the Golden Girls wrestling each other. It was specifically for older dudes yeah. to wrestle. And even the young wrestlers were like, why? <laughs> like, no, oh, right, because John is uh, an eccentric, right, air quotes, right. and has a shit ton of money, and he just wants to do it. So here we go. But they drag these people out of, like, retirement homes. I swear to God. You see them on the mats fighting. These other men literally, it seems like they have no idea where they even are. Right. And they would also be paid. Right. Also be paid off. And he's like, like just so scrawny, like with his hands up that he won. And it's like. They're doing these uh, staged events where you have these gorillas coming out to wrestle John and then rolling on their back. And, you know, John's the champion and the people are cheering his names. It was completely absurd. then somebody else on the farm is coming around with a bunch of cash afterward, you know, paying the guy off. In John's mind, he was actually at the wrestling the Bulgarian champion, actually took him down. And he thought it was real. So you guys have Olympic training to do? Like, how much time do you have in this place to just be, like, like, dealing with this? This is just the the beginning or the middle of them just, like feeding his ego and 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 doing it because he's the benefactor. Right. And they say this eventually, like he's helping them make all of their dreams come true. So they're just like playing into all of his just bizarre fantasies. Right. And then sort of justifying it. Like it's hard. The guy just, you know, he's running the wrestling thing. The guy just wants to wrestle. Like right. where's the harm in that? But it's like, no, you're feeding into this delusion and that's incredibly harmful. So, I mean, it was just, it, it wasn't right. But we, you know, we wanted to make him, he, he loved that stuff. He was so happy. And everyone was just kind of pacifying the guy because he was good for the sport. Now we're into the hunting and the cops. So I knew this was gonna. I knew this was gonna be horrible for you. Like they, they again because there's like video of everything. Right. They cut to the, like video of them hunting. Right. So what John does is he has the the local police. They ran these like hunting parties or whatever where John financed everything. Yeah. The vests. The the outfits or whatever costumes. Whatever people do to hunt. <laughs> Hunting's the worst. John had an awful lot of friends. And I, I suspect that much of that was because he was um, generous with respect to a lot of Delaware County um, institutions. The police sergeant was a tenant on the estate, right. conflict of interest, and John was using illegal guns. And John himself would hunt out of the window of his uh, town car with a rifle, 
which was illegal in, in, the, in the area at the time. He basically thought that there was no jurisdiction, that he could just do whatever he wanted because it was his estate. And uh, it turned out that he could. Right, because he was friends with all the police. He was and buying then, off the police. And then funding their uniforms and stuff for the yeah. actual force, and then like funding all the illegal... Oh, he had a helicopter that he would just lend out to the police force. Yeah. He had a helicopter one time, and he lent that out to surrounding townships if they needed it. He rode around town, you know, with officers. He had a uniform and everything. He was paid a, a dollar a year just to be a, a reserve officer. I remember thinking when I was watching that, like, oh, he's paying all of this forward so that when he does something insane, right. no one's going to bother him. 100%. Which is totally what happens. Right. Like, how is that? I just don't. I can't. Right. Next. I know. Garbage, I know. garbage, garbage, garbage. <laughs> As a result of his connection with people of consequence and his close personal relationship with the law enforcement in the county, he thought he could do what he wanted. He flew the uh, Foxcatcher flag above the American flag on Foxcatcher. He was the ultimate authority. He thought this was uh, DuPont land. And there is one point where the wrestler, one of the wrestlers says, like, the thing about being super rich and just throwing your money around is that you never really know who your true friends are. Right. Which is 100% accurate. Literally like, zero of these people would have been there were it not for him and his money. Right. But this sparks this paranoia in John. Guy's got a lot of money. He's living on a big property. So to me, it was like, all right, a little paranoia was probably appropriate. You know, I think it progressed a little bit further than that. This goes from zero to 100 real fast. Real quick. Yeah. So John would videotape, like, the woods surrounding his estate. Mm-hmm. He would watch the video footage for hours. Yeah. And then, and then like, be certain that he saw things or people lurking in the woods. Right. And then he would, like, pull people in. He would try to get people to, to buy into the things he was seeing in the woods. Okay, look at that. Tell me, do you see, do you see something moving in there? And you'd say no. And he, He'd get a little frustrated, you know, and then he'd fast forward. All right, now look at this. This is where it is. You know, look, look at this. Do you see something moving or do you see this? Do you see, you know, a shape in there, a form in there? And you, no. And sometimes what he would do is bait people. Right. So people never knew. It was this weird power play where the wrestlers never knew, like, if I go along with it just to appease this crazy person, which they kept doing over and over again, yeah. sometimes he'd be like, nope, nope, I got you. Yeah. You can't just nod because sometimes he would mean it in psychosis or whatever, but other times he would bait you. He'd look out over the field and say, you see those deer? They're really people dressed up as deer. They're mechanical deer and someone's planting them there. And if you say, oh yeah, John, I see what you mean. I'll say, no, they're not. They're really deer. He's we're saying the deer were actually people. Or like robots that yeah. his dad placed there. Right. Like for all garden this- parties? Like none of it made any sense. None of it. But like garden party, girl. Can you imagine? Just pause for one second. What kind of garden party? Like with the open bar at that place <laughs> would be amazing. And then you wouldn't have to drive home. You could just like ha- like be oh on like, like a commune garden party. I know. Girl. That's, ugh. We should have been friends with him. No? Yeah, but then one of us would have died probably. <laughs> not me. God knows he would have no time for me. I was not his type, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Okay, so then the paranoia is evolving. And and the wrestlers, it's like, again, it's like, he's their, what's the word? Like, benefactor. So they're, they need to make sure that he's not, he doesn't kill himself, whatever. So they're, like, staying with him in shifts. We'd take turns staying with John, kind of watching him and making sure he was okay. And you know, we'd do it in shifts. You know, like, I'd leave at, like, 9.30, and after the kids would go to sleep, Dave and Vallow would come up, and they'd, they'd hang out at the big house until, like, 11, and... It was very benign. You just sit over there and watch television or you go down and play pool. 
Yeah, and to me, this is like really the height of the enabling because it's so much bigger than just John now. Right. Right. Like the U.S. Olympic team is involved, the wrestling association right. is involved. Like, why can't you just help this person? And and meanwhile, there like now the paranoia has evolved to like there's people living in the walls. He thinks Dave Schultz is living in the walls. Right. He believed Dave Schultz and Rob Calabrese had a weather machine and could control the weather. He also got convinced there were tunnels going into the mansion, going out of the mansion, and that Dave Schultz used these tunnels to mess with him. He'd be like, there's people in the walls, and um, I think it's Schultz or something. You know, he'd say something crazy, like, and I'd say, Dave, Dave Schultz isn't in your walls, John. <laughs> For some reason, he's, like, turning on Dave a little bit. Right. And then this is where we learn one of the wrestlers tells us that like he would have favorites and obsess over people. And then like that. Right. And Dave had been one of those favorites. Like from the beginning. Yeah. Obsessed. And now he has turned his attention slash affection to Valo. The Bulgarian. The Bulgarian. So right. So like he was obsessed with the Bulgarian team because they were really good. So he decided he was just going to like basically buy the Bulgarian team. Right. And then he decided that he was Bulgarian. (laughs) John started sponsoring the Bulgarian team, and he decided that he originally was a Bulgarian. He was a descendant of whomever. And then when he was called on it, right. he would, yeah. would just be like, nope. No, this guy's not blue. What are you talking about? Two plus two is not four, you guys. What are you like, saying? I was like, no, you're not. You're not Bulgarian. You guys are French. <laughs> you're one of the most famous French families in the world. <laughs> He'd have none of that, you know, no, no, you know, this is why I identify with Valentin because of my Bulgarian heritage. So the, but the other thing, the other thing that's happening now is that Valo and Dave are like super good friends. And now John is getting jealous. And like they use the word jealous. Then they use the word triangle. We're talking about a triangle there. You know, where does DuPont fit with that really close friendship triangle? And... DuPont was kind of outside the circle. No one's going to say he's in love with him. Right. Might that have alleviated some of the pressure if anybody could have just been honest. Right. And just like this weird dynamic and power struggle where it's like, are you the boss or are you one of the guys? Right. And then again, remember, Dave is, is apparently the only one who can like deal with John. So there's that dynamic. And then and then uh, there's this uh, another insane video uh, where they're all in a car and John is in the front seat and Valo and Dave are in the back seat and they're like, they're sort of like giving John crap about something. They're egging him on that they're such good friends and he's out of it. They're, right. liter- they're like teasing him about the fact that he's like everyone's like old, decrepit grandfather, Mr. Burns. Burns and they're right. like the cool kids that are best friends. So then John turns to the camera and says, Fuck the world, I'm gonna kill them all! <laughs> Again! What the hell? And even Dave is like, I think you just said, I'm gonna kill them all. And I'm like, all right, Robert Durst. Jesus exactly. Christ. This guy looks, I mean, he looks like he Robert does, Durst. He does, he does. Yeah. So now the paranoia is just, you think it can't get any worse. Right. And guess what it does. Yeah. So he is hiring the FBI, the CIA, special forces. So security, because they were being paid and because it was their job, they were forced to investigate these insane things. Like they had to actually like knock the walls down and be like, John. There's nobody here. Girl, look, focus. There's nobody there. Like, So we started out with these low level investigative efforts. Dig a hole right there in the yard. Let's see what we find. Bring a metal detector in and see what we find. And then we got uh, ever more sophisticated as John kept insisting. We brought in some technical equipment and some technical people. But then the security guy 
says something that's like it's like a me it's like a garbage bell maybe but like a medium yeah, thing because yeah. he says that it's not his job to deal with his mental illness it wasn't my job to question what his concerns were but to try to uh, allay his fears in other words to factually say this individual is not a threat for these reasons or this doesn't exist I get that. I hear that argument. I, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if they're not going to hire them, they're going to hire somebody else to do the same job. But can you also say, like, this person is a danger to themselves and others? Like, I just a moral right. and ethical thing? Yes, like, absolutely. This is, this is kind of insane. Like, if he needs us to knock down all his walls, maybe somebody else should be involved here. Yeah, absolutely. Just saying. Should we talk about the color black? Oh, I think we have to. <laughs> During that one period of time, the color black was something bad to him. He said that black was the uh, color of death. So you couldn't wear black shirts. He got rid of all the black horses. I had a black car. I had to get rid of that. He goes, you know, from horses to cars to shirts. When he makes the jump to human beings, right. that's a problem. Yes. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, he says the words, I'm not racist. I just don't want black people here. He had fired all the athletes that were African-American off the team. Kevin Jackson was at the peak of his game. And to have to call him up and say, Kevin, I got bad news for you, was just heartbreaking. Greg has explained to me, yeah, he won't let me drive my black van on the property. He's kicked off Pritchard and Fisher. And then he looks at me and says, you too. And for me, I'm, I'm, it's hard for me to believe because I'm already Olympic champion, world champion. That's the last thing I expected. And then nobody comes to their defense. None, none of the other athletes. No. The 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 uh, USA Wrestling. The, the, whatever the association is. Yeah. All all of the people in the like nobody comes to the defense of these black athletes. But they really felt super bad about it later. Yeah. yeah. Let let's like make that clear. They were right. like, "Are you guys rolling on this? Just right. make make sure you hear me say." I felt really bad making the phone call to fire this black person. Totally. Uh, maybe that should have been a, enough of a warning. But in any case, for whatever reason, we didn't really do anything about it at that point. I guess to some degree, we were taking advantage financially of the benefits that we were getting. Are you kidding me? I know, I know, I know. Are you kidding me? I know. Oh, then he becomes nocturnal. Yeah. The security guy is like, probably a virtue of chemical enhancement. He was blowing coke all night long. (laughs) About 11 o'clock at night, he would get himself spun up. And as we found out later, it was probably by virtue of chemical enhancement. Stop with the, like, fancy right. security Speaking words. Speaking of coke blowing up the nose of the elderly. <laughs> yes! I see. It was my foreshadowing clairvoyant ways. Girl, hero bell. Comedy hero bell. Only those of you who listen to the outtakes will know what we're talking about. Yes. So John is just getting crazier and crazier and crazier. So, yeah, and now this is, like, yet another thing where... That, like, when someone is struggling mentally, yeah. he thinks that there are, like, bugs in the grain of the wood. And he's, like, and out. No, he's faces. on the camcorder, and he's out in the garage, like, looking at this, like, this boat thing or whatever, yeah. talking about, like, all the bugs that he had seen. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Whether you know it or not, your little slime bug friends have added to the golden gloss that it has. It would not have that if it had not been for them. Right, so now he's carrying a gun on him at all times. Fun! Right, and then also, like, this Secret Service Black Hawk guy is talking about how, like, driving to work, he was getting nervous every day. Right. Every day when I drive the 10 miles to Foxcatcher, the closer I got, the more nervous I got. 
I'm getting nervous to where I'm shaking going into work. Because he knows shit's about to go down. Because there's this footage that John would just walk around and just like point the gun up and shoot it. Oh my God. And then there's this one scene. You can see him actively not knowing how to use or handle or shoot a gun. He would walk around carrying it under here, you know, and it, it's like that thing could fall and go off and hit you. And so I didn't like to be around him when he was carrying his gun around. So then they say things started going south really quick, and that's when the whole thing with Dan happened. If you remember, Dan is the one that's like not really my type, but he's like super muscly and like yeah. very handsome. He's got like a great slamming body. I think he still has a mullet to this day. <laughs> so what happens? Like basically, Dan just becomes a target of John's for no reason. One of those whims, like he would obsess negatively and positively, and yeah. Dan was the target that he had. I was living there on the farm, and then. Not even through John's own words, but through his attorney that John wants you to move off the estate. Well, that was a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow. And like when something like that happens, you're just like, wait, what? Like right. is is John John could like walk to my house and talk to me. Or he could just be in a bad mood today. Like he doesn't mean it. You know right, what I mean? Exactly. Like it just like it could just be whatever. Yeah, like what am I in his walls now? All right, attorney. I'll talk to you later, <laughs> please. Um, so then Dan was like, whatever, man. And then... And doesn't take it seriously. Right. And then a U-Haul shows up in front of his house and is just left there. No, of course, Dan, of course, always has a camcorder. So, like, we're... We see the U-Haul the minute Dan sees the U-Haul. He's like, hey, look at this U-Haul, right? (laughs) Like, Dan. Move yourself and save. (laughs) Okay. So what happens next? So Dan just, like, lets the U-Haul sit there, which is, like, Dan. That's, like, even more of a target. Girl, I know. So then Dan's just, like, in the weight room, like, doing normal (laughs) shit. And John walks in and presses a machine gun to his chest and, like, screams at him to leave. So Dan, I have to say... Does a very smart thing. Does everything right. He walked up to me and he gets the gun and points it at my chest. He goes, don't you with me. I want you off this farm. And I just shrunk my head, and I showed him the palms of my hands, and I just said, John, I don't know what this is all about. I've only tried to be your friend. And it was just enough. He backed up, he put the gun down, and then he ran back to the big house. And the response from other wrestlers were like, that's just typical, John. And Dan's like, dude, I just bored a gun on me, stuck it to my chest, and said, get off the farm. But that's typical stuff. That is not what the word typical means. Like... <laughs> Even more infuriating is when he calls the cops and the cops say the exact same thing. I called the police. I told him John had pulled a machine gun on me and he laughed. He said, well, (laughs) I've known John a long time. He's always been a little different. Newtown Square police officer. Yeah, and Mike Savitsky, girl, I'm calling you out, (laughs) says that things, while things were reported, there was nothing serious that was reported. Right. Minor instance, nothing serious. Right. (laughs) There was a machine gun, like, in the middle of the day. This guy's trying to lift 400 pounds. Like, can't a guy bench press anymore? (laughs) (laughs) And so, but then, then, the most dramatic. This is, like, this is, like, the pink sparkly flag with Kylie Minogue's face on one side and Lady Gaga's on the other side. 
Or like Marsha and Sylvia. Can we just do that? <laughs> Marsha and Sylvia. Hey, girls. Hey, hey girls. He, Dan wakes up in the middle of the night <laughs> to like a fire blowing out the windows in the house next door. Right. So, Which, by the way, is a house that John owns. Right. On his property. Like, on his he, own property. It's crazy. Yeah. So, of course, like once the light of day, once the lighting is good, Dan gets the goddamn camera <laughs> and starts filming yeah. inside the house. And again, it's hot dummy talk. He's like, oh, there's the, there's the road through the door. Yeah. Whoa, this is so weird, right? <laughs> Weird is one word for it. There are many, many others. <laughs> this is weird, man. This is a, this place has turned into like a battle zone or something. Wow, this is so weird. Oh shit! I hope this comes out. Look at that shit. There's the tree through the wall. And chairs. But then Dan also he calls USA Wrestling, right? And he's like, "Girls, yeah, ladies, we have a serious problem." Here. So he flies out there. He right. calls them, and then he goes. I flew out to Colorado to meet with them and plead, get those guys out of there. So they have this big debate, and they have to decide. All of the people, like on the board of the of the uh, USA, what is it? It's like the USA Wrestling Association. So it's like the board members and the people who run it. They all get on a conference call and have a debate. With Dave Schultz. With Dave Schultz. Because I think he's on the board at this point. He's like a a deciding factor. So they go through the racism, the the arson, the craziness, the paranoia, all of the the illegal guns. They go through everything. And they're trying to decide like if they should be associated with him or not. Again, these are conversations. They're not sure. I know. (laughs) After the racism. And not just racism. The gun in the weight room. Believing that black people are evil. Like, right, that's yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, like, no, let's have a conversation. <laughs> so they're, like, about to decide to cut all ties. And Dave Schultz speaks up. And, and this was probably the deciding moment after this hour-long debate, argument. You know, uh, we get down to this, and Dave says, I have my family and children on the farm. If I thought for one moment they were in danger, I would pack up and leave. So I thought, well, that's convincing. They were so close I know. to shutting the whole thing down. And Dave Schultz vouches for the guy. I know. It is so heartbreakingly stupid. Yeah, yeah. I can't even get into it. Right, because what happens next is that Dan has moved off the farm, but he left his truck at Dave's. So The he- U-Haul. The U-Haul. So he comes he comes to Dave's for like 10 minutes one night, and and somehow John gets wind that Dan is at Dave's and that they're like hanging out. That is not what's happening. Right. But that's what so John gets wind that that's what's happening. He freaks out. He gets, as they say, drunk and high. Yeah. This to this whole scene to me is so bonkers. He like comes down to Dave's house, pounding on the door with a rifle. As soon as he came in the door, Dave just stopped me at the front door and said, John, you can't come in my house like this. Especially not with a gun. Give me the gun. And John gave him the gun. And John was so drunk, he, he fell down. He just stumbled and fell down. He hit, hit his head on a windowsill and cut his head open. We had to call a doctor and have him stitched up. He's literally fall down drunk. Yeah. Like actually stumbling, not making any sense. And they're like, let's Even Marsha and Sylvia are like, girl. Girl, if you can't handle black beauties in scotch, like you have to do it. Right. In moderation, Yeah, girl. come on. No, don't be an amateur. Right. It's just a bad look. And also, is this not the trashiest thing ever? Like the DuPonts are just like, oh, my word. Like, sacre bleu. Like, they are just, this is so not DuPont. I know, I know, uh, I know. So what happens is that John makes up this story that instead of falling down drunk, and that's why he has the stitches, Dan attacked him. Dan wasn't even there. And from that, DuPont manufactured the story that he'd been assaulted by Shade 
and uh, wanted the police to look into it. And I think he went to the state police as well as the local police. So they have the cops have to call Dave to corroborate the story. And Dave's like, sorry, guys, that's not what happened. This is an actual episode of Cops. Right. Like, this has happened <laughs> on an episode of Cops. DuPont began to bear hostility towards David, feeling that he betrayed him. And the relationship with David began to deteriorate right, right at that point. So then there's a big storm. It's like so Shakespearean. There's like a big snowstorm. And it's, um, you know, the, the kids are playing in the snow. Dave is at the gym. John is driving around the farm with uh, the security guy. He wants to show the security guy where all the damage is from the storm. All the trees that have fallen down and the fences that are broken. And the security guy gets a surprise when John gets in the car. And he comes out with um, a camera and a pistol. Uh, which was a little unusual. So, I mean, really what happens is that John shows up to the house. To Dave's house. To Dave's house. We were having lunch in the house, and we heard a car pull up. So Dave kind of walked over here, and he said, it's John. So John pulled his car up right about here. As Dave walks up, John picks the pistol up and immediately swings it out the window and shoots Dave. And just shoots him. Like, there's no lead. It's not like they had a fight. He just, like, right. goes to the house and shoots Dave. And then all of a sudden, like, the documentary sort of, like, takes off. Because now we're hearing the 911 call it's from It's the most, Nancy. I can't even. It's horrifying. It's- 39, 09, Ghost Road. A man's been shot. It's so heartbreaking. And, and I'm getting chills and, like, I know. just hold. It's horrible. And, like, modern day Nancy is, like, telling her version of what happened, which is basic. I mean, it happened so fast. And so I just remember rolling him over. And he was doing this thing that he used to do when he was training real hard. He was going, <laughs> like, trying to concentrate, like, trying to keep himself alive. And all of a sudden, he just stopped breathing. And I said, I love you. And I gave him a kiss on the forehead. And he died. He died right then. And then we find out that John has, like, taken off in his car. Like, he shot Dave. The security guy gets out of the car for some reason, doesn't wrestle the gun away from him. Right. And then John gets in his car and, like, drives off. Right. Basically, we're back to the beginning where uh, John has locked himself in the library, which is also a safe room, which apparently is a thing that exists. Well, when you're super rich. Right. And so now there's, like, now there's a standoff. A bizarre story has been unfolding for hours in a wealthy Pennsylvania suburb. It involves a violent murder and a heavily armed standoff with police. It also involves the heir to a huge fortune, a DuPont, who has turned his estate into a massive fortress. And this, to me, is just like bonkers, that the police don't just storm the place, but they don't. And then there's a press conference. And, like, the, the whoever it is, the chief of police or whatever, is talking about how, like, you know, the conversations are ongoing. Last evening at approximately 9 o'clock, 9 p.m., negotiations with Mr. DuPont uh, continued. Phone call with Mr. DuPont was extremely cordial and positive, and that was the last contact with Mr. DuPont. Mr. DuPont chose to go to bed at that particular time. When he decided to go to bed? And all the journalists are like, <laughs> like, I love the reporters who are just not, I had the same question. Lieutenant, why would this man be allowed to go to sleep? I wish I had a better answer than I don't know. They're like, all right, well, let, let's all go to bed, everybody. John, <laughs> get your warm milk. Maybe someone will read you a bedtime story over the monitor. Then in the derpiest way to get a guy to leave his house ever, they... Tr- they turn the heat off. They, like, that's their big move. They turn the heat off. Right. And so John calls them. Get the heat turned on over there. 
episode, but I, I don't know if we can send a, a maintenance guy into the, the property to do that. And he's like, "You guys got to turn the heat. You got to turn the heat back on." Hello. And they're like, "Well, you have to do it." And he's like, "Okay, well, can I go outside to the greenhouse and turn the heat on?" You talk to your bosses first and call me back. Okay, look, believe it or not, they want another line for me, and they told me that that's that's okay. I mean, this whole thing is like, where is the derpy music? It's the opposite of what a negotiation like this should be <laughs> right. like. They're negotiating with him where it's like, please don't come out armed, okay? I Can you please, <laughs> just please, if you come out. Okay, are you going to be armed? No. Okay. Please don't come out armed, okay? No, I won't. Okay. That's, a, that's not the kind of negotiation no. when they're talking about a, a not negotiation. negotiating like, from a position of power, guys. Please don't come out armed, okay? <laughs> please. Thanks. So then, you guys, then... John comes out of the house and a cop jumps out of the bushes and tackles him. No shit. (laughs) An officer came out from behind a tree, started giving him commands. He kind of threw his hands up and then put them down and up and kind of turned back towards the house. A fast officer by the name of Officer Lund chased him down. Uh, It's my understanding there was a tackle involved, but uh, that was it. Can we go through the rest of this quickly? Yeah, please. Basically, what happens is like John, John gets arrested and he's taken. Now it's just a, it's a matter of like, is he going to be tried as like regular or are they going to go for the insanity plea? Which right. they go for because his defense is like, no, no, no. There's no question he killed this person, <laughs> right? But he is insane. Yeah. So then they just basically let his hair grow out and put him in a wheelchair and make him look like fucking Howard Hughes. That's exactly what they do. Yeah. So they make him as he's wheeled out into the trial every day. He's looking more and more insane right doesn't work he totally like gets convicted and sent to jail forever and then like we find out that you know nancy you know pursued a civil trial and they the duponts immediately settled out of court for an undisclosed 10 billion dollars sure so john dupont dies in jail and then can you please tell the people the last final nugget of information i like really resent the fact that we know this John DuPont was buried in his red foxcatcher singlet. The end. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Which all I can say is like my lingering image is that somewhere in Philadelphia is a skeleton ah! <laughs> with that singlet. Oh, <laughs> gross. <laughs> Girl, I have so much to say about our Patreon. Oh my God, I know. Same. You guys, so right now we have something like five or six mini episodes up for you to listen to and one full bonus episode uh, all about the Queen of Versailles, which people have been loving that episode. Yeah. Um, it's really fun. You can get all of those episodes as a podcast. You can stream them on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just super grateful for all of your support. We are creating so much bonus content. For five measly dollars a month. Five measly. Not Weasley, you guys. Not, no. Not red. Um, Love we are going to start doing this new thing where we're going to start talking about like a case that we find really fascinating and yes. mysterious. We're going to upload those once a week-ish. Ish. Um, and we're going to keep doing our Unsolved Mysteries where yeah. we review or talk about an episode. Our next full bonus episode coming up in March, you guys is all about truth or dare <laughs> uh, we are recording that really soon that'll the be the Madonna out. movie for you straighties out there exactly oh god that's right you straight men Madonna. Madonna Madonna so if you guys want to find all of our bonus content uh, just go to patreon.com slash true crime obsessed or you can also go to our website and just click the link yep uh, just a couple more things uh, if you guys have a friend that you think would love true crime obsessed tweet them tweet us with the hashtag get obsessed Amazing. so many people have done Amazing. it and I'm obsessed with I it I know it's awesome uh, and uh, always you can leave us a review on iTunes which we will love you forever for yep girl where can they find us 
at True Crime Obsessed on Twitter and True Crime Obsessed.com. Where can they find you? At Jillian with a G. I'll spell that like that. Uh, you can find me at Patrick Hines on Twitter, at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram. Uh, what are we doing next? How to survive a plague. Girl. Oh, you guys, this one's this one's really tough. It's actually one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Same director as The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. Mm-hmm. So if you love that one, you'll probably like this one very much. Yep. So you guys stay tuned for the promo for that. Then we're going to have our amazing and hilarious outtakes. TM, TM, TM. (laughs) And then you guys, today our palate cleanser is from a show that I saw when I was in London. It's called Everybody's Talking About Jamie. It's about a little boy who just wants to be a drag queen. Ah, Jamie girl, I love you. I know. All right, bye. Bye. 40 million infected people is a plague. AIDS is now the leading cause of death. Demonstrators blocked access to buildings. Coalition of gay groups came to shut down the FDA. This government has the resources to deal with the AIDS epidemic and they won't do it unless we force them. We want everybody to join us. We are trying to arouse to anger and action. Until we get our acts together, we are as good as dead. I started to look for treatments to help save our life. I wish they'd shut their mouths and get their mentality out of their crotches. There was nothing coming out of our government's efforts. But no, they march in the streets. They defy you. I decided to become a full-time AIDS activist. They all had to become scientists to some degree. We can take a drug, your test tube, to the market in under two years. This total reluctance on your part is going to get you nowhere. It'll end up killing us. The death rate just kept on climbing. It became very clear that you weren't going to mess with these people. I am going to fight them. My patients are going to fight them. And you've got to We need our government to save our lives. This isn't going to be cured for years and years and years. I'm going to die from this. Someday, there will be a people alive on this earth who will hear the story that once it was a terrible disease and that a brave group of people stood up and fought and in some cases died so that others might live and be free. Should we say outtakes in harmony? Oh, yeah. Outtakes! We gotta work on that. (laughs) (laughs) He has these, like, 20-year-old wrestling bros, and they all just want to, like, have fun. And, And, like, like, each one with a harder nipple, each one with a nipple protruding a little bit further from their (laughs) t-shirt. It's just just, the nipples are everywhere in this. I mean, yeah. Well, right, but what did they used to, like, when they used to, like, put women in insane asylums because they were, like, exhausted? Witches. I'm shocked I'm not in one right now, to be perfectly honest with you. Dave is a very good looking man. He's in amazing shape. He's, you know how like hairy guys like to pretend that they're hairy in the front, but that's the only place they have any body hair? Sure. Dave lets us live in that illusion for a long time, but then he lets it go, girl. Yeah. There's one point where you're just like, where? Oh my God. Like, you cannot believe how much hair there is on his body. It's, it's vile. Meanwhile, every time they cut, and I'm not, this isn't me being like gross and sexy. Every time they cut, <laughs> <laughs> 
almost just spit out water. Gross and sexy. Every time they catch a picture of Dave, his shorts get shorter. Like his he shorts gets are literally. Oh. Well, I mean, I I don't know. I, I just don't. he's just a really hairy person. Like who they all look like, Mr. Burns. They all look like Simpsons. I'm so sorry. I'd be I'd give anything to be Mr. Burns skinny. Anything. Anything. He all, John also warms. He's like, I'll come out, but I'm wearing my Bulgarian colors. And everyone's like, fucking great. Who cares, Frenchie? You're French. I know. There's a clock on the wall and it's moving too slow. It's got hours to kill and a lifetime to go. And I'm holding my breath till I hear the last bell. Then I'm coming out hard and I'm giving them hell. Cause I'm a superstar and you don't even know it in a and you don't even know it You're so blah blah And you don't even know it That's all you are And you don't even know it There's a path up And you don't even know it To the promised land And you don't even know it And you won't understand And you don't even know it Cause you're my backing man And you don't even know it And it's the Jamie show And you don't even know it And you're so so And you don't even know it And you're kinda slow And you don't even know it And I'm go 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 And you don't even know it Sign you in two Cause baby I'm the ship 